I'm Max Barnett, Commercial Strategy Lead at Delta Tray. And I'm David Kushnan, Head of Content at Leaders. And this is The Blueprint, the podcast for straightforward strategic thinking in sport. Over the course of this series, brought to you by Delta Tray and Leaders, we'll be exploring how to build and execute great strategy and how to avoid doing strategy badly. We'll hear from some of sport's leading strategists about how they think, plan and execute strategy with flexibility, bringing projects or partnerships to life and injecting creativity. And we'll take you inside some of sport's most recognisable organisations for real-life examples of where strategy worked and sometimes where it didn't. Welcome to The Blueprint. And welcome along to The Blueprint. This, of course, is our podcast series examining strategic thinking in sport and what that actually looks like. And it's a delight to be in the leaders slash Delta Trace Strategic Command Centre with uh, my good buddy, Max, my wingman. Captain DC. Yeah, if you like. Uh, Max, uh, we have another guest with us. Shall we find out immediately who we're talking to today? Let's do it. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon. My name is Heidi Pejerano, Chief Commercial Officer at CONCACAF. Heidi Pellerano, Chief Commercial Officer at CONCACAF, another excellent guest, Max. And just by way of reminder for everybody, CONCACAF, the governing body of football, soccer, if you like, in North and Central America and the Caribbean, uh, one of six FIFA confederations around the world. So it oversees football in Canada, Mexico and the US, as well as 38 other countries from Belize to Panama, Barbados to Suriname. CONCACAF Gold Cup is the big national team competition. This year's edition just won by Mexico and planning already underway for a number of big events over the next few years in North America, notably, of course, the 2026 Men's World Cup in the US, Canada and Mexico. Heidi has been with CONCACAF since 2019 as Chief Commercial Officer. She runs a host of the organization's key departments. That's uh, including business development, partnership marketing, digital and emerging technologies, strategy, media distribution and broadcast platforms. Max, wow, there's plenty to get our teeth into here. Yeah, I'm really interested to to do this one, DC. Number one, it's commercial um, officer, chief commercial officer. So I think there's going to be a real, what I hope, laser focus on how strategy delivers commercial returns. But also, CONCACAF such an interesting organisation to dig into, both from the 41 members that you just talked about, but also its relationship with FIFA. Obviously, they've just entered into a, a strategic partnership, commercial partnership there for the for the upcoming World Cup. Really looking forward to this one. Is this the ultimate strategy kickoff meeting? It could be. This is Heidi Pellerano, and this is The Blueprint. Heidi, it's fantastic to have you with us. We really appreciate you joining us. Uh, you're speaking to us the morning after the night before the <laughs> final of the Gold Cup. Uh, so we really appreciate that. Um, tell us a little bit about what last night was like and uh, uh, how it all went down in Los Angeles. 
Great. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. I do forgive me. My voice is a little bit uh, shut after three weeks of intense competition here in the CONCACAF region to crown uh, the best team. It was electric. Uh, we have over 72,000 fans uh, in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium uh, for a great final between Mexico and Panama that was decided towards the latter uh, minutes of the game. I tell you, it's the roaring of that crowd. Uh, it, it could potentially cause you to lose some of your hearing. Uh, it's incredible. We were had a lot of guests from a lot of other confederations, including FIFA, and even they commented about just the energy of the crowd. Uh, obviously, a spectacular stadium, and uh, they, they were treated to some fantastic football. So for us, it's very satisfying to make sure that everything that our leadership has been working towards in terms of putting football first is really paying dividends um, in every aspect of, of everything we're doing. Just before we get into the the strategy deep dive, which is what we're here for, Heidi, be really interested to know in your role as, as Chief Commercial Officer at CONCACAF, how are you spending your time during a tournament like the Gold Cup? Is it is it a lot of sort of meetings, handshakes, introductions? How does, <laughs> how does it work for you? Give us a, a snapshot of your diary over the last few weeks. A snapshot? Well, there's a lot of time on planes uh, because uh, we usually take our Gold Cup to about 15 stadiums. So uh, what we do as a leadership team is we divide the, the different uh, host cities uh, based on the people that will be able to join us, level of activation from some of our partners, whether it's from television or broadcast. So for me, what I do is uh, there's still a lot of fine tuning as the, the Gold Cup unfolds, uh, a lot of uh, sometimes putting out fires. Luckily, everything ran pretty smoothly, but you know sometimes you push the envelope and technology doesn't work out just like you want it. So you get a lot of calls about uh, LEDs and uh, something that happened on the broadcast truck. So there's quite a bit of that. Um, but for the most part, what you're trying to do is continue to tell the story of CONCACAF. You know, you have partners that we have incredible partners from Qatar Airways to Toyota to Vaveline that show up, uh, that come to our matches and activate. So you want to spend time with them, hearing them to see what uh, the things that are working for them, things that maybe didn't go as smoothly that you can do a little bit better moving forward. You also spend a lot of time uh, trying to meet the fans uh, and get their perspective of how they're seeing CONCACAF and the Gold Cup, because everything is a great learning experience to continue to fine tune uh, what we're going to talk about today, which is the overall strategy to grow uh, the organization, not only from a, a fan-based perspective, but also uh, commercially speaking. Well, let's zoom out a little bit from the Gold Cup and talk about your role in general, as I said, Chief Commercial Officer at CONCACAF, and tell us a little bit about how and where that role touches and fits within strategy and strategic thinking. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let me boil it down. Uh, like I always say, kind of a little bit of the basic explanation of what our job is. Uh, first and foremost, our basic role on paper as well is to do revenue generation. So all the revenue generation that goes into the organization comes through my team. Um, the only funding that comes into the organization that doesn't come through my team is uh, the FIFA grants. Um, but what does that mean? Everything from broadcast television to radio to monetizing content, sponsorships, licensing, all of that is uh, how we uh, help grow uh, the commercialization of the organization. Now, specific to strategy, uh, we have a team. Uh, not a very big team, but we do have a team dedicated to strategy that sits under uh, my my team. And 
What we do with strategy, I think it unfolds in two ways, because as a commercial team, as I mentioned, we're in charge of revenue generation, but we're also the people that sit at the table when decisions are being made and offer that point of view. So whenever our competitions team is working with our senior leadership, our president, Victor Montagliani, our general secretary, Philippe Mojo, to discuss calendar, to discuss format of competitions, we are at the same table discussing the commercial implications of those decisions. And that's very important because that trickles down from decisions that we're making, but also the input that we provide holistically for our president to be able to present CONCACAF's position at FIFA meetings. So if you recall, when there's discussions around expanding the Club World Cup, or there's discussions around having uh, changing the format of the World Cup so that they're every two years, or discussions around the FIFA windows, we're there to offer that opinion uh, in terms of so that all of those inputs are taken into the consider into consideration. And hopefully the decision that's made is the best win-win, competitively speaking, for the participating members and then also for the partners that fuel uh, the competition uh, from an economic perspective. So that's a critical part. Then the last piece of strategy is really to think about the evolution of the industry and thinking about how our fans are changing thinking about how how consumption is changing so that we can then start kind of what they call future-proofing our organization and not only have a plan that allows us to yield revenue today, but that we have a plan that allows us to continue to grow revenue long-term. Heidi, it's fascinating kind of hearing first as we kicked off the podcast, seeing the kind of fruits of all of that hard work and, and great strategy. And then you talking about how you specifically as a commercial uh, lead kind of have that seat at the table. We also, from your background, you, I believe you went to Duke and had a marketing MBA. You have a marketing MBA. You've also got a wealth of experience on the on the agency side. Wondering you know, is there a, a toolkit, a set of methodologies or frameworks that you use with your team when you're developing a strategy or or participating in these strategy sessions? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a series of tools. Um, the first one is experience, um, you know, <laughs> uh, and sometimes experience with uh, success and experience with uh, things that didn't go as well. Um, I think the second thing is uh, I, I think I use a lot design thinking. And I try to implement that a lot with my team. Uh, design thinking is very simple because at its core is empathy and listening, right? And it's about gathering information and distilling that information and then making decisions based on that. And I always talk about um, as marketers, right? You always want the, they, I have some, I used to have clients that used to call it the magic, um, you know, the, uh, others call it the art. Um, but I always tell people, you can't have magic. You can't have art without science, right? If I can't understand the evolution of the industry, if I cannot understand the mindset of my consumers, then how am I going to be able to develop the best programs, this, the best uh, you know, strategy in a way that will really help drive results? And that's where you know, design thinking with this concept of empathy is really critical. And I remember when I joined CONCACAF, the first thing I did coming from Wasserman, that was a very data-driven, insights-driven organization, I said, can somebody share with me um, the, our report in terms of our fan segmentation? And everybody kind of looked at me like, oh, well, you know, our partner that we work with, Stock uh, United Marketing in the past has shared some information around the Mexican Federation fan, um, U.S. soccer fan. And I was like, 
great. That's always obviously the more data, the better. But those were done within a very different context, not really diving into their passion and their understanding of CONCACAF. So that was the, one of the first things we I did as a, in the organization is ask my leadership to support us doing a segmentation study so we could understand our audience. Um, we also spent a lot of time, um, you know, working with the partners to do a lot of trend analysis. So we can understand how the industry is evolving. Um, uh, we actually just started to implement our first CDP so that we can, you know, grab data from everything, from our data, from, uh, sorry, from our website, from our app, from our ticketing, from our licensing to start really now, not only painting a picture of who these fans are, which we got from the study, but their behaviors, um, you know, in terms of how do they consume CONCACAF? How does CONCACAF fit within this broader football landscape that they consume. Um, you know, how can we better communicate to them? You know, and think about it, right? Um, what was it? Maybe four or five years ago, there was a lot of people that would have thought you were crazy if you started putting your programming in on, on streaming, right? Because they thought, you know, it would start, you know, to kill your audience. But you see how those platforms have grown and the types of support that organizations are getting from them. You know, that MLS now did the Apple deal. There's still a lot of discussions here in this, this side of the world in terms of what the NBA's new media rights deals is going to evolve and include. So that's kind of the work that we have to constantly do because, you know, when we're doing partnerships in particular, they're not short term. So you're kind of trying to make sure that you don't lose uh, or miss something in that process. Hmm. It sounds like, Heidi, just playing this back, it sounds like becoming a data-driven organization and rights holder was really critical for you to do your job effectively and to bring your team up to speed on the way that you wanted to do things. You know, obviously, investment in a CDP takes money, it takes time, it takes resource. There's a load of other things that you mentioned there around benchmarking, about fan segmentation. Was that an easy uh, battle to win with your leadership. Um, I'm sure lots of listeners to the podcast would be nodding along as they're driving their car or, or wherever they're listening and saying, how do, how do you win that battle to become a data-driven organization? Yeah, absolutely. It's not easy. I mean, selling it in, it's easy. It's getting the funding. I think that's a little <laughs> bit harder. Um, you know, I think the way we did it is kind of this a notion, right, that you hear a lot that crawl, walk, run, right? We didn't come in and say, hey, can I have a million dollars off the bat to do all of this, right? Because immediately they go, wow, what is that million dollar going to, is that million dollars going to help me get one more million, two more million, five more million? So that's kind of where the mindset comes in. And we tell this to our federations all the time where we we started with some of the free analytics, right? The Google analytics, the Twitter analytics, etc. And then little by little, we started to invest. And we didn't do all of the things I mentioned off the bat, right? One year, we did the segmentation. The next year, we started doing the CDP. Because with every investment, we were able to show that. I still remember one day, we were going into a discussion for our media rights uh, renewal. And I was walking uh, my general secretary, Philippe Mojo, through the deck. And in it, I had pulled a slide from the segmentation study that talked about where kind of CONCACAF is in terms of level of fandom with other sports properties in the U.S. And he looked at me, he's like, where did you pull that? And I'm like, our segmentation study. He's like, and it's true? And I'm like, 
Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, oh my God, that's a great data point to have going into this renewal, right? So that's kind of where you start uh, making sure that those little wins get everybody comfortable with that level of investment. Um, but it's that, right? We live in a world that, you know, not just brands that we work with or broadcasters that we work with have to prove their ROI. We do too as well, right? Every time I do a conversation, uh, I go in and kind of prove the, the why of the investment, how it's going to help us, um, you know, uh, grow commercially. Um, and also kind of, I show them a little bit of um, the opportunity cost, right? Of how this is going to help us not only long-term, but all the things that I debated before making this decision. So they know it wasn't an easy decision that I definitely looked at every uh, possible area of investment and deem why this one was more important than others. I'm really interested in the kind of scope of your role and the the revenue streams it touches. When you're talking about fan data and the ROI of fan data across the different things that you've been investing in, are there any particular revenue streams that you sort of prioritize and it was easier to prove that ROI through? Was it sponsorship? Was it uh, was it broadcast? Like where did you where did you start there? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing uh, I will tell you, and, and I'll definitely answer that question, is that when you come in as a, uh, as in my a role like mine, uh, I always kind of <laughs> equate it a little bit. You know how there's always all these uh, people that post videos on YouTube before now on TikTok, and uh, what you see kind of like a little bit like the animal, especially like cats, uh, and where their owners are torturing them with like a laser and the, the cat is going crazy. It's very easy to to be a cat in our in our <laughs> world um, because uh, you know there's we all read and, and that's an important part of the job and you read like the NBA just did this the NFL just did that Wimbledon just did this you know uh, the U.S. Open of golf just did that right UFC so there's always a lot of information about innovation um, new revenue streams that are being explored by other sports organizations so. I got caught a little bit on that where everybody, the minute I arrived was like, where's our esports strategy? Are we doing betting? Uh, where's our OTT channel? And for me, I was like, hold on. All of those things are things that organizations do as they start reaching their maturity state, their mature state, and now need to unlock new revenue streams because there's not much more revenue that, that they can unlock from existing uh, streams. That was not the case at CONCACAF. Right. So we needed to make sure that we were able to maximize, first and foremost, our traditional revenue streams of television, of sponsorships, of ticketing uh, and licensing and content. Then we can start exploring some of these things. So I say that because then that influenced a lot of the discussion and decisions that we made in terms of investment. I will tell you, I think we have benefited from all of them. Uh, but I think overall, in terms of selling it into our leadership, where they saw the most direct impact uh, uh, was on sponsorship, right? Because the minute you sit down with Toyota, the very minute you sit down with Toyota, even if it's a renewal, the first thing is, what additional data can you provide me, right? Because a lot of brands are doing, uh, I, I think, it's not as much of a buzzword now as it was like two years ago, but it's still happening. The the mixed uh, marketing modeling, right? So they're trying to make sure like, is this the best place for their to put their investment? So 
that was the first place they asked us, can you show us information about who your fan is? Um, their willingness to purchase our product. You know, especially with us, um, do they prefer to be communicated in English, like our for our Latino, Hispanic uh, fans? Do they prefer to be communicated in English? Do they prefer to be communicated in Spanish? How many of them are watching Gold Cup on Fox versus uh, how many of them are watching on Univision? They also want to know how to differentiate themselves and maybe say, do I speak to them through culture, sport and music? Do I speak to them through sport and food? So all of that was really critical. Um, and I think uh, brands in particular are the ones that require the most amount of data. Um, and therefore, it was the easiest and where we leverage it the most, to be quite honest. Because and, you're and also ever- in a competition. Sorry to interrupt you. We are all a little bit on a very competitive uh, situation with brands, right? Where they're looking at you and say, Heidi, great. Why you, right? Why your uh, CONCACAF and not the Mexican Federation or the U.S. Soccer Federation or um, these uh, friendly matches that are being brought in like El Clasico in Texas coming up here shortly or a MLS or a club or a, uh, you know a player. So sponsorship is where you, I think, uh, there's most competition and therefore the more information that you have to not only sell yourself, but also know who to go talk to, right? Why waste yourself presenting to a brand that their audience doesn't align with your audience? And it's, it's interesting in order to do all of that and win the deals with the types of brands that you're talking about in order to have that level of of data to to win when you go and renew or win when you go into those new business pitches it it takes time and i suppose that totally validates the importance of bedding in good strategic thinking years before or maybe decades before right correct absolutely i mean i i definitely believe and one of the things that it's by by the way very very hard in organizations because one thing is to kind of start creating a strategy um a vision a roadmap it's another to follow it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so that's the biggest thing that I try to take stock every once in a while to make sure like, hey, we said we were going to set out to do this. We set out um, a set of criteria that was going to help us uh, inform our decision making. Are we sticking to it, right? Um, are we maximizing every opportunity that presents itself? Um, and it's also then getting not only your leadership, but your team to think that way, think strategically. Um, you know, I remember when I started, everybody was caught in that mindset of like, oh, uh, this partnership just is coming to an end. Let's renew it. And I kind of started going, should we renew it? And that scared people, right? Because obviously renewals tend to be easier. Um, so of course that is the easiest mindset when you're in revenue generation, but I always kind of wanted them to think about, but okay, they've been a good partner. Yes. How is their business evolving? Are they evolving with our business? Are they our best partner for years now, eight years down the road? Right. And that was something that, you know, it's very interesting to, to really pose those type of questions in front of your team to make them think that way. Um, so like I said, like, Putting a strategy together is hard because it can be overwhelming if you kind of get into that mode of analysis paralysis. But I think the hardest part is actually sticking to it and and delivering it. Um, And that's why I like to kind of key, like create like 
three or four, four kind of like I call guiding posts that allow us to filter every decision that we make, because that helps us then feel like, okay, if we can answer these questions, like the litmus test, then it, uh, it makes me feel more comfortable that we're in alignment and staying on strategy. Heidi, I want to um, ask you a little bit about, I suppose, the type of organisation that CONCACAF is. Confederation, one of six around the world, sort of operating under the FIFA umbrella, if you like. And I'm really interested in this concept of how you, when it comes to thinking about building, executing strategy, think about managing up and managing down to the 41 member associations that you've got who range in size and scope and scale and ambition and resource from a US soccer Mexican football federation at one end to the you know what i presume a very very small maybe not quite one man bands but fairly close to it close. at the other end <laughs> how does how does that feels like a lot to be sort of uh, constantly adapting messaging adapting the way that you communicate adapting the way that you even um, think about strategy. You know, tell us a little bit about how it works in practice. No, that's that's a great question, and thank you for uh, your incredible insight around Concacaf. That means a lot to us. Um, but I think, yeah, that you're exactly right. Forty-one members. I kind of say almost like it could be forty-one different planets because they're so different. You know, even if you take the three North Americans, Canada, U.S., and Mexico, what do they have in common? in terms of uh, the, the economics of the countries more globally, um, the maturity of the sport, the passion of the sport. Um, so one of the things that I've learned is um, you have to have a flexible strategy and it cannot be a one size fits all, right? Uh, we cannot treat Gold Cup the same way we treat Nations League, the same way we treat the Women's Gold Cup or uh, a youth 15. Right. So that's the biggest thing that we spent a lot of time. And I always say that one of the most important things you can do in a role like mine is uh, put the mirror in front of you. Right. This goes back to the design thinking and the empathy and see yourself for who you really are. Right. And what strategy allows us to do is to really think about who you want to be. Right. Um, so but the first step in being able to figure that out is to understand who you are, where you are, and then you can start dreaming about where you want to go and creating strategies to get there. Um, so a basic principle around that, I remember talking to our leadership was on the competitive front, because obviously as a commercial person, the best product helps me commercially. Um, so I remember saying, you know, there's this perception that we need all 41 members to be in a position to win Gold Cups. Not necessarily, right? You th you think about for you guys where you come from, you know, how many ch uh, clubs have played in the Premier League and how many clubs have won it, right? But what you're trying to do is create competitive balance and create a competitive product. So our leadership does a lot of work on the development side, benchmarking, each one of our members 
and then creating programs specific to where the members are. So you don't come in and treat Montserrat uh, the same way that you treat the U.S. Uh, or even not even treating them, set the same expectations for Montserrat. So that's a lot of what we try to look at from a strategic viewpoint is kind of level set, understand where each of our members is through benchmarking and then helping them, you know, in the process. And one of the things we do, which was really, I, I learned the hard way, I must admit, is we do a lot of workshops for our members on the commercial side. And we do topics like uh, how to sell media rights, uh, sponsorships, uh, licensing, storytelling. And I remember the first time we came in and did presentations, we have, you know, best in class examples. And, you know, we're talking about Barcelona, Real Madrid, you know, Adidas, Nike. And I could see their faces go, I can't, what do I do with this? Right? So immediately we pivoted and then we said, guys, we got to adapt. That was, we can't, this was, we set an unrealistic expectation, right? Um, so the next presentation we did, we came with examples from Iceland, from Japan. Um, you know, we came from examples from, uh, you know, our own confederation from other members, completely different dynamic, completely different dynamic, the note taking, the questions, the follow-ups, etc. So that's a very small example, but it really does help you understand the critical aspects of being in a role like this, doing strategy, thinking about uh, how do you start making it manageable for each of, of, of your members and then create realistic expectations. And then once maybe they achieve those, then you continue to move the bar. But I think if you move uh, set the bar too high from the get-go, then you might get disengagement right away if they don't, uh, if, if, if in their perception they they can't do it or if they try to do it and they fail. Yeah, it sounds like, Heidi, you're almost running a, a strategy agency there, right? Having to deploy your team there. But I suppose it's it's you having the oversight to understand you know, how to best deploy your your resources, your time to to hit those objectives and those targets that you set out as a, as a leadership group, whether that is commercial success, whether that's participation, whether that's changing brand equity, all of those good, good stuff. So if David talked a bit about sort of management for, of your members, your 41 members, um, and kind of looking, looking closer to home, how do you then work with a FIFA um, and, and think about how you have a shared strategy there um, and how you, you work together there? No, absolutely. You know, I think I almost look look at it like from the sense of, um, you know, FIFA has 211 member associations, you know, spanning, like you mentioned, six confederations. And we have to tell them, right, they come up with a lot of great programming, a lot of great ideas that um, are not always adaptable to all 211 members. So we have to be kind of a little bit of that translator, that bridge that says, okay, Great, right? We all want development. We all want better infrastructure. But what does that look like in our region, right? Um, you know, you can't, you know, this is something that was very well known. Uh, FIFA has a program called FIFA Funding, um, the FIFA Forward, sorry, program that is funding for the members. And they have a set of criteria um, that you have to meet in order for that funding to be unlocked. Well, we sit with FIFA and say, ugh. You know, that's a pretty strict standard for, for uh, all 41 members to, 
to fulfill. You know, we have islands like Montserrat that have a total population of 5,000, right? So for uh, for Montserrat to meet that standard, it would require every person in the island and every person that has some Montserrat blood in them, you know, to be able to get engaged. So that's one of the things that we do. A second piece is very specific to what uh, a very real-time example is World Cup, right? The World Cup is coming to our region. Now we have another World Cup coming to our region with the Club World Cup in 25, uh, the FIFA uh, World Cup in 26. Um, and we sit with them and we say, hey, you have your own very uh, successful but very powerful brand and commercial structure. You can't come into the marketplace and put your confederation or its members in a losing position, um, especially because I think we still have a marketplace that is going and, and separating their kind of different strategies and have maybe a little bit of what they call soccer or football money, right? So that was very important for us. Um, so one of the things we did with FIFA that never had been done before is we actually created a collaborate sales strategy leading up to the World Cup in 26. The catalyst of that was it doesn't help anybody uh, to be in a position, take whatever brand uh, that I knock on their door to try to come in and present CONCACAF and Gold Cup. And then the next day they're hearing from FIFA or uh, from somebody else and creates a lot of confusion in the marketplace. And it creates a lot of uh, competition, unnecessary competition. Uh, so what we did with this uh, program is that we are kind of co-selling with the narrative that, you know, if you're a brand, um, you know, let's say you're a tech brand, we can come in and say, hey, you can be a World Cup partner and get billions of eyeballs, do all of these things, but you can be a CONCACAF FIFA partner. And now you have four years leading up to the World Cup because CONCACAF offers you, you know, two Gold Cups, you know, multiple nations leagues where you can continue to build not only your strategy, but if, for example, you're a tech company, you can start developing some of the technology that you want to implement at a World Cup and really start giving uh, fans, creating that habit with the fans. So that was something that, you know, it's a, it's a perfect example of where we saw an opportunity and we said we really need to, to make sure that we sit down with FIFA and influence how, uh, not influence, but like how do we influence in a way that can create more collaboration. And, and Heidi, how did that come about? So was that, you know, revenue target, four-year, five-year revenue target put on your head and your team's head and saying, right, how are we going to get from A to B? What are the different opportunities? Ah, one of them might be working directly with FIFA on this partnership. How did how did that partnership come around? Was it reactive or was it part of an overall kind of commercial strategy there? So uh, I'll be very honest with you. I think it was part of a strategy, but it was really a aha moment uh, a few years back, uh, I had a colleague in the industry reach out to me saying, hey, FIFA just um, released their RFP looking for a sales agent in, in, in North America leading up oh, to the World Cup in 22. Oh. Um, you know, can we pick your brain as we put our proposal together? And that's when it clicked for me. Oh, goodness. <laughs> you know, um, FIFA's coming. And already, obviously, with their strategy at the time where they saw regional partnerships. But then it clicked to me, the next one is the World Cup in our region. So they're going to be presenting to a lot of the same people we're going to be presenting. And and that's, like I mentioned, uh, 
not competition in the best way, right? Um, so I sat there and, uh, you know, talked to my leadership about whether they would allow me to entertain the, the benefit of this collaborative strategy, the benefit not only for CONCACAF, but also for FIFA. And uh, they were very intrigued by the proposal. They were really concerned about how it would work, right? Um, and the benefit, not they obviously not only to CONCACAF, but to FIFA as well. Um, you know, I think that's one of the key aspects when you're doing uh, collaborative work is that it truly is uh, a win-win. And win-win, I don't mean like, oh, you get 50 and I get 50 and we split the orange, but like truly now, you know, we grow the pie and we both win. Um, so I did a lot of analysis around um, the sponsorship landscape for FIFA, um, you know, where it was prior to the scandal, where it is today, where it was after. And I realized that there was a huge opportunity with North American brands that they were missing out. Um, that was at probably one of the biggest impacts for them after the scandal. Um, so we saw this as an opportunity, right, for them to re-engage with the North American market, which is our primary commercial market. Um, and that's kind of where we built a whole a pitch to FIFA saying, this is how we work, right? From um, the moment we sit there with a brand, how do we present it to the brand? How do we think about the, the fee and how the fees get split? Um, how do we do the contracting and all of that? And uh, so, yes, it was part of an overall strategy of we need to grow our sponsorship. And then we sat there and thought about all the levers that we could do from increasing our own activation at events um, to creating new programs. We actually created a new sponsorship strategy uh, so that we could segment our fans and our competitions um, and, and really have a more clear plan when we present it to brands. And then FIFA was a big part of our strategy to talk and present our national team competitions. We've just got time for a couple more questions, um, Heidi. And one I wanted to ask, given that we are talking to you at the start of a week where we will see the start of the Women's World Cup, about the, I suppose, the global shared mission, the shared strategy around the continued development of women's football in all respects. There's obviously a, a, an on-field piece. There's a huge commercial piece as well. And I'm really keen to get your thoughts as somebody representing uh, one of the the six confederations. How far along that strategic journey, if you like, do you do you see the world of football in all respects, all the stakeholders, and and how joined up is that strategy at the moment? Should that strategy be going forward? Yeah, well, let's start by first of all, we're very excited about the Women's World Cup uh, starting. Everybody's confused, right? Because on paper it starts on the twentieth, but I think on our region it starts on the nineteenth uh, in the evening uh, with the time zone difference. But um, we have six Concacaf members participating in the World Cup, so that's a first. So that is a direct result of the strategy that was put in place to continue to help develop women's football across our entire confederation. And I say that because it's very easy uh, for everybody listening. Um, I remember from the outside world, not the inside world, a lot of people were being like, why are you, why are you investing so much time and energy on women's football? When, and we laugh because they were only thinking about us, right? Two time defending world champion, uh, maybe they're thinking a little bit about Canada as the Olympic gold medalist. But we would sit there and look at each other and we go, what about the other 39? 
right? We have 39 other member associations that some of them don't even have a women's senior national team. So we, our, our development team and our women's football team work together to create a strategy to help not only develop uh, you know, help develop at the national team level, but at the youth level to increase participation in the sport. So that's the first thing. But to your question, I think there's quite a bit of collaboration. Uh, you know, FIFA doesn't do things in a vacuum and uh, they do have stakeholder meetings, uh, you know, when it comes to things like the calendar, when it comes to things about launching new competitions, um, all of that is discussed, debated, uh, all opinions are heard. It's a really hard job um, because what might work for CONCACAF might not be what works for UEFA or what works for CAF or what works for Commebol or AFC. So they have to take all of these inputs and really find um, the best you know, solution, middle ground uh, to help each of the uh, confederations with their priorities uh, in terms of growing the women's game. Um, I think the one aspect I personally wish there was more is more collaboration at the at, at at all levels as it pertains to success and best practices. You know, uh, you know when uh, UEFA had the Euros, uh, amazing to watch. Uh, full stadiums. Um, they announced a lot of, of of very interesting partnerships. What can we all learn from that? Right. So a lot of that falls on you to read and see. Um, you know, uh, who's reporting on it. But I wish there was a little bit more sessions, uh, debrief sessions between, you know, commercial people at UEFA and CONCACAF, uh, the, uh, the people that put these events together to say, hey, at the same time you were doing the women's Euros, I was doing the women's championship in Mexico and look at the different programs that we implemented and look at the results and look at, look at the feedback that we got. Um, because we all debate that, right? Everything from, Pricing is a big debate, right? You don't ever want to price yourself too high that you scare potential partners or fans from buying tickets, but you don't want to price yourself too low so that you end up leaving money on the table. So that's an area where I wish there was a little bit more collaboration. Heidi, I feel like we could uh, talk for hours and hours, but we got to... That's the whole podcast, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. But really looking forward to the World Cup, um, upcoming World Cup. But to to wrap up uh, today's podcast, we we normally finish with a couple of questions. So we just wanted to um, ask for your strategy book of choice or or strategy podcast. Okay. Um, So I'm I'm kind of going to go back and probably date myself, but it's an oldie but goodie, and I still (laughs) follow it, The Art of War, Ah. Sun Tzu's Art of War. I read it in college, and I remember um, thinking a lot about it that I kind of reread it not too long ago, um, and I definitely still keep going back because, again, planning, right? Everything it's about planning um, for everybody listening, listening. it's not, a, you have to know that it, it, there's a number of different battles in a way, uh, but you have to keep your mind and your energy focused on the, the war at the end and how do you win the war. And sometimes, you know, you have to let go of certain battles um, to, to be able to win the war. And, and that's something that a lot of people don't understand, right? They want to win every time and they kind of come in like bulls in China chops in every little <laughs> situation that they're facing and, and they want to take over the world. And it's like, no, 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 no. Everything builds. You know, I can tell you for me, 
fundamentally, one of the things I would encourage anybody in a role similar to mine is, yes, our job is to sell, but you have to think about, do you just sell or do you actually think about how do you create value so people want to buy your product? I'd rather create value than sell. So that's where we spent a lot of our time. And these are kind of principles that I wasn't born, you know, a natural, you know, strategist or salesperson. These are things that I've learned uh, by reading a lot, uh, listening to a lot of podcasts. Uh, but the art of war, for some reason, really resonates with me because, you know, being on a sales job, you're going to be, uh, unfortunately, you're going to hear the word no more than you hear the word yes. <laughs> and by the way, there's nothing you can do to change that dynamic. Uh, you're going to, you know, if you can close 10% of your deals, 20% of your deals, you're an extremely successful salesperson. But any other environment, you shoot, uh, you know, 10%, you know, as, or as a basketball player or an American football player, you know, as a, if you're a quarterback and you have that, you know, passer rating, that's really bad. But in sales, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take 10%. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, and, and obviously, it's really difficult sort of outside looking in. Um, but who do you think in the sports and entertainment in, industry, it could be individuals or organizations, do you see as building and executing strategy really well? Who do you look at and say? Well, we I mean, I think I would have to say probably two examples because think about Formula One. Right. Think about Formula One in this country. Five or six years ago, nobody was talking about Formula One. You know, there was obviously the conversation after the Circuit of the Americas, but it was a very, very um, niche conversation around Circuit of the Americas, um, you know, and bringing that first race in the t into the U.S. Right. Now we have three races in the U.S. because we have Miami, we have Las Vegas. You see people in the streets. Uh, wearing Formula One gear, talking about Formula One. Uh, my nephew is a big fan and, you know, he calls me, he's like, did you see the race? And I'm thinking, when did this happen? <laughs> How did this happen, right? And um, so I think you you have to give him a lot of credit because uh, for many, many times, if you for many, many years, I should say, if you talk to any North American sports uh, executive, they would tell you, Ah, it's going to be a niche sport. It's a great sport, a fun sport, but it's a niche sport. And what they've been able to do and how they did it by actually, you know, popularizing the sport, bringing it into the kind of the, the, the broader conversation of the American sports landscape through storytelling, you know, and, and doing the Formula One and creating content that kind of humanize uh, the, the, all, all of the drivers, et cetera. It's, it's terrific. I think the second one um, I have to, I always look up to and admire and research a lot is the NBA, because I think the NBA has always been very innovative. Um, they always are pushing the envelope. So um, whenever I see the NBA launch a, a new strategy from a media perspective or um, a programming perspective, I'm paying attention because I was fortunate enough to work with a number of partners before in my, in my previous uh, job uh, that were NBA partners. And I can tell you firsthand that they are, you know, their tech summit is one of the best industry events. And I remember uh, when I was working with them that my partners, it was easy for me to get them to the NBA all-star game than it was to get them into the tech summit because it was the hottest ticket in town. <laughs> Good stuff, Heidi. Um, 
two good ones there and an excellent book recommendation, which will go on our reading list. Um, so we really appreciate all of that and for uh, sharing um, a few minutes with us to chat through your approach to strategy. Uh, thank you ever so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.